friends, it's Rebecca with another episode of Lyric and Letter, where we uncover the scriptural backbone of your favorite worship songs. If you've ever wondered what scriptural wisdom lies behind the worship songs we sing, you are not alone. Maybe you're in high school finding your identity, or in the throes of parenthood, or even experience the freedom of an empty nest. No matter where you are, the Lord speaks to all of us through His Word and song. So today, we're diving into a special song that we have been singing at my church for the last couple of months, On Earth as in Heaven by Red Rock Worship. We're going to dive deep and explore some of its scriptural roots. If you haven't had a chance to listen to this uplifting song yet, don't worry. You can find it on our playlist at www.lyricandletter.com forward slash playlist. So go ahead and make yourself comfortable, maybe with a cup of tea or coffee, as we journey through the lyrics and the scriptures they bring to life. Are you ready? Me too. So let's start at the very beginning of the song, where the lyrics say, We bring our praise, you bring revival. Now, that just blows my mind to think that the power of our praise can bring heaven to earth. I can't help but think of David when we discuss praise. Now, you know David, the shepherd turned king. He understood the heart of God in ways that were revolutionary for his time. Do you remember how he danced with all of his might before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant was returned to Jerusalem? If not, that's in 2 Samuel 6.14. And let me tell you, his wife was not too pleased. But David was unashamed. He recognized the power of praising God unabashedly. So this calls to mind Psalm 22.3, which says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. It tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, when we praise, we create a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Our praise invites God's presence into our circumstances. But praise is so much more than just a song we sing on Sunday mornings. It's an outpouring of our hearts and our lives, a reflection of our relationship with God, and it can manifest in many, many ways. Scripture gives us a multifaceted view of what praise can be. In Romans 12.1, Paul urges us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which he calls our true and proper worship. Praise is not merely vocal. It's your life, your actions, and most importantly, your obedience to him. In James 3, 9 through 10, we are reminded that with the tongue, we praise God, but we also have the capacity to curse human beings. This tells us that our words outside of the worship setting also matter. They're an extension of our praise or lack thereof. And let's not forget the power of silent awe. In Habakkuk 2, 20, 
It says the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Silence before God, a profound recognition of his holiness, is a form of praise. So whether it's in the work you do, the words you speak, or the songs you sing, praise is a lifestyle. It's a multifaceted way of honoring God, extending far beyond the walls of a church or the lyrics of a song. Now, if you want an even more deep dive into how praise and worship is lived out in our lives, I highly recommend the book Worship by John McCarthy. I'm currently listening to this right now, and it is blowing my mind that it's way more than just praising and singing a song. It's an entire condition of the heart. Speaking of the heart, there is this fascinating line in the song that says, where your love is found, there will be no fear. God, your kingdom come, your will be done here. Now, Matthew 6.10 tells us, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And in 1 John 4.18 assures us that perfect love casts out all fear. So when we're surrounded by God's love, fear has no place. It's cast out, eradicated. Now, love and fear can't occupy the same space. And when we're walking in God's love, we find ourselves naturally stepping into his will. This trust we build with him replaces any trepidation we might have, making obedience a joy, not a burden. I have to tell you, this last week was so stressful at work, but I put on my headphones listening to worship and Every bit of fear, every bit of stress just faded away because I lifted my life up to the Lord. And it was like leaning back into the arms of Jesus. And my soul, my body, my mind, my emotions were calmed as I trusted him with my life. Now, these lines also lead us to the concept of God's kingdom coming to earth right here, right now, through us. When we pray for his kingdom to come, we're essentially praying for his will to unfold in our daily lives and the world around us. And that is a profound part of knowing God's will. You see, understanding his will isn't a one-off event. It's a journey, a journey that often begins with small, maybe even seemingly insignificant steps of obedience. And each step is guided by his love and his desire for us to live fulfilling, meaningful lives. God's will is so intertwined with his unchanging character. He is steadfast, loving, and his plans are always for our good and his glory. It's less about walking a specific path and more about a way of living that brings us in a closer relationship with him. That's all he wants. So the more we invite his love into our lives, the clearer his will becomes. 
As we grow in his love, we grow in the understanding of his will. It's not a cosmic weird puzzle that needs to be solved, but a beautiful relationship to cherish and nourish, a two-way communication. So moving on from understanding God's will through love, the song gives us another soul-stirring line. We bring our shame, you bring redemption. Isn't that a beautiful exchange? We come to God with our brokenness, our failures, and our shame. And he offers us something unimaginable in return. Redemption and full restoration. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. When we think about redemption, it's not like a discount at some grocery store. It's something so much more deeper and profound. Redemption is this astonishing act of grace that transforms our brokenness into something beautiful. You see, when Christ went to the cross, he bore all of our sin and our shame. Every mistake, every regret, everything that weighs us down with guilt. He took it all. And not just so we could be forgiven, but so that we could be transformed and united in him. Our shame doesn't have the final word. Because through Jesus, we are redeemed, we are restored, we are set free. Shame tells us we are worthless, but redemption tells us we are priceless. Shame wants to hide us away, but redemption brings us into the light. It's this wonderful paradoxal truth that the lowest points in our lives can become the most potent testimonies of God's grace and love. You know, redemption isn't just a one-time event. It's an ongoing process of turning to Christ in every circumstance, offering up the good and the bad, and experiencing his transformative power of his grace again and again. And let's not forget, our redemption also has eternal implications. We're not just saved from something. We're saved for something. To live lives that glorify God, to love others as he has loved us, and to experience true and lasting joy. So the next time you feel weighed down by shame or guilt, Remember, my friends, that redemption is just a prayer away. Offer it all to him and let his love wash over you and transform your shame into his glory. So let's go on to the first part of the chorus. What does it mean on earth as in heaven? To answer that, let's look at a place where God's will is always perfectly carried out. Heaven. There, love reigns supreme, joy is unbound, and peace is the eternal backdrop. Can you even imagine a place more glorious 
no sin, no suffering, just an endless celebration of God's goodness. Here's the breathtaking part. God wants that reality to touch our lives here and now. No, it won't be the full experience until we get there, but glimpses, yes, beautiful glimpses can be ours. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're essentially inviting heaven's best to invade our ordinary moments. We're asking God to make our lives a conduit for his love, his grace, and his power. Let's go back to the disciples for a moment. They had no money, no army, no social standing. Yet when they prayed for God's kingdom to come, miracles seemed to happen. Lives were changed. The world was set on fire with the love of Christ, as seen in Acts. Why? Because they aligned themselves with God's will. They became agents of his kingdom here on earth. But there's also a personal side to this. When we align ourselves with God's will, we find purpose, direction, and a peace that passes all understanding. We're no longer swayed by every wind of doctrine or circumstance out there. Our feet are planted on solid ground, the rock that is Christ Jesus. The next part of the chorus, the lyrics say, Spirit of God, pour out. Now this echoes an invitation that's woven throughout the fabric of the Bible. It takes me back to the time of the prophets. For instance, in Joel 2, 28-29, God promises to pour out His Spirit on all people with the young seeing visions and the old dreaming dreams. Now back to the book of Acts, specifically chapter 2, where we see this prophetic promise fulfilled at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles in a dramatic display of God's power and glory. The Holy Spirit made us His temple through the death of Jesus Christ. Just as the Spirit of God descended upon the tabernacle, in Pentecost we see a picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon His people and making us His dwelling place. How amazing is that? But what we overlook sometimes is that this wasn't a one-time event Through Acts, we see the Holy Spirit continually poured out upon believers and dwelling within them in relationship, empowering them to do great wonders, transforming communities, and bringing salvation to the ends of the earth through the spreading of his gospel. In Acts 10.45, for example, the Gentile believers were astonished when the Holy Spirit was poured out even on them. It was a clear sign that the kingdom of God was not confined to a particular group, but was for everyone who believed in Jesus Christ. So when we sing these lines, Spirit of God pour out, our hearts are wide open, 
It's like we're tapping into this grand biblical narrative. We're saying, Lord, do it again. Pour out your spirit anew. We're not just asking for a touch from heaven. We're asking for a deluge, an unceasing flow of his spirit to fill and transform us, just as it did in the apostles, the prophets, and believers across all ages. So my friends, when we sing this song, it is not a mere melody. It's your personal invitation to God, asking him to recreate the wonders of the first Pentecost in your life every day. The song becomes an anthem, a cry for a continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit, echoing God's promises to saturate us with his presence on earth as it is in heaven. I love the beauty of the chorus. But friends, as we transition into the bridge, we find yet another set of revelations that illuminate the blessings that come when we stand in the presence of God. So let's open our hearts even wider and dive into these profound lyrics. When we say, in your presence there is peace, this isn't just a feel-good statement. In Isaiah 26.3, it is written, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That peace isn't just a calming sensation. It's a divine assurance, a security that comes from knowing you are in alignment with the creator of the universe. When you feel that peace, it's almost like a seal, an affirmation from God that you are where you need to be. In the next line where it says, in your presence, we are free. Let's explore this a little deeper. Like we said in Romans 8, 1 through 2, Paul tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Imagine that. It's not a temporary reprieve, but a permanent liberation. You're not just free from something. You're free for something. To live, to love, and to serve. Now, in your presence, mountains move is a powerful declaration. But have you ever pondered what those mountains could be? Could they be a mountain of doubt, fear, or perhaps obstacles that seem insurmountable? When Jesus speaks of moving mountains in Matthew 21, 21, he speaks to the limitless possibilities when faith crosses with divine will. Not only can your faith move mountains, but it can also anchor you in truth. Just as the line says, in your presence, there is truth. It brings us to John 14, 6, where Jesus declares, I am the way and the truth and the life. The truth isn't a set of rules or a moral compass. It's a person, Jesus Christ. When we sing there's no better place to be, we are acknowledging that the ultimate truth, comfort, and guidance are found 
in his presence alone. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And finally, the line, we forever run to you, is not just about our pursuit, but also about his relentless pursuit of us. Even when we falter, his grace is sufficient to meet us wherever we are, just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. So when we sing this bridge, we're not just uttering words. We're making a solemn declaration, one grounded in the very word of God. My friends, we've journeyed through a landscape of scriptural richness and spiritual revelation, haven't we? So I invite you to let these revelations sink in deep. Let them influence not just how you listen to the song, but how you live out your faith every single day. And as we wrap up today's episode, I pray that your hearts are filled with a new understanding of this song and a richer connection to the word. Now, before we close in prayer, I have something new for you. Normally, this is a place where I give you a couple of reflection questions. However, I've created an interactive Q&A section within the Spotify podcast app and our new Facebook group. There are three personal reflection questions waiting for you there. I encourage you to spend a few minutes pondering them. It's a little gift from me to you, a way to help you dig deeper and internalize everything we've discussed today. So let's end this episode with prayer. Heavenly Father, we gather here as your children in various stages of life, united by your eternal love, Thank you, Lord, for your word that speaks to us, whether we're stepping into adulthood, navigating the peaks and valleys of life, or cherishing the wisdom that comes with years. We ask for your spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds, enabling us to apply what we've studied today across all seasons of life. Help us to worship you, not just in song, but in every action, every decision and thought, from youth to maturity. May your will be our compass, your redemption our anthem, and your presence our lifelong sanctuary. We all run to you, Lord. You are our refuge. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my friends, Thank you so much for joining me today on this journey through the song On Earth As In Heaven. I hope that you have received as much revelation about worship as I have. If you would like to go even deeper, I've prepared a special devotional related to this song. It's absolutely free and waiting for you at www.lyricandletter.com forward slash devotional. Now, I am already buzzing with excitement for next week, where we'll be diving into yet another song that has been ministering to my spirit. I'm going to keep it a secret for now, but I can't wait to share it with you. Until then, have a beautiful day in the Lord. God bless.